I'm very excited today. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we called it the Alps of the Bible. It's one of the, uh, one of the greater books of the New Testament. Most uh, theologians, if they were asked, and they were, what book would you want to have with you if you could only have one book out of the Bible in some remote place? And uh, the majority said the book of Ephesians because of all that's there and the importance of it and all that it covers. You know, uh, the book of Ephesians, which was written approximately 60, 61 A.D., uh, was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And he had visited that church, established that church, and uh, was there for uh, three to four years, establishing churches there. He had a great heart for it. And so he's writing this letter now to them, uh, and, and he's giving to them uh, really, uh, we've already seen some of it, uh, some amazing things. I, I'll, I'll throw this out at you. This is not on your notes, but... Uh, I had remembered this when I was preparing, and when you go through the book of Ephesians, it's always good to know what you're looking for. What am I looking for here? If you remember in chapter 1, the key phrase was, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, over and over and over, he's trying to establish the purpose of God. And so he he says this repeated phrase in chapter 1, and if you, uh, maybe next time you read it, just take a highlighter with you or a pen and underline it. Just underline that phrase and begin to catch the theme of it. But chapter 1 talks all about the purpose of God. Do you want to understand the purpose of God? Just re- meditate on Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 2 talks about the temple of God, and we started that last week, and we'll work on that today. We'll finish that today. Now, chapter 3 is all about the family of God. So we see the purpose of God, the the uh, temple of God and the family of God. Then when you move into chapter 4, uh, he talks about the body of Christ. Is the, what, what is the body of Christ? You hear those terms a lot. Well, when we get there, you're going to hopefully have a greater understanding of what is the body of Christ. And then when you go to chapter 5, it's all about the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And so we see these different pictures that come up. And then chapter 6, I think you Most of us would be familiar with what chapter 6 is about. Uh, It's about putting on the armor and so forth. And so it's all about the army of Christ, the army of Christ. God is on a march, and he's out to completely, completely uh, remove everything that's wicked from the earth. I believe that. Amen? So we started out in chapter 2, and that's where we're going to jump into. I'm going to do a very fast review because we did cover this last week. But we we started out with verse 1, and it says, And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. And I think some of these verses will be coming up in just a moment. Uh, You who were dead in trespasses and sins. And what we said last week is sin was just, the word sin itself means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So if there's a target there and I pull the bow back and it just kind of falls short of it, that's what that word sin means is to miss the mark. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark as we are born in sin. And so none of us can hit that target, but that's what it means. It says that we were dead uh, uh, from uh, these uh, trespasses and sins. And the word trespasses means that I'm going to cross the line. In other words, I, I know the line and I know what I shouldn't do because the Lord has already spoke to me about that. 
area and that issue, but I just keep going back to cross the line. That's what trespasses are. I'm actually doing this in my own choice. I'm really, uh, if, if I just be true about it, I'm challenging God's boundaries is what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, I, I think I can still go across that line and, and be safe. If you have children, you'll remember when they were younger and you told them not to do something. And I remember for us, we decided that we wouldn't, uh, uh, we wouldn't put our kids through too much torture as, as believers in the rod, okay? And so we just like chose three things and we said, we're gonna really emphasize these three things. And so we said they couldn't touch the plants because we didn't want them to die. They couldn't touch the plugs on the wall because that's not a good thing. And they couldn't touch the fireplace because that wouldn't have been a good thing. So those were the three things that we talked to them about and we said, you can't do this. Okay? And once we explained it to them, if they did it afterwards, there was no counting. There was no one, two, I told you not, no. We already told them not to. And so we then uh, issued punishment. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Right? But what we found interesting was is, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't really uncommon to see them crawling toward the plug. Okay? And here's when you really know it is when they stop before they get to it and look back. You know that they know they shouldn't cross that line. And this is what the word transgress means. I'm, I'm going to push the boundaries. I'm going to see what I can get away with. And, 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 and this, is, this is what he says, you were dead. That's, you were completely dead. You weren't just sick, but you were born dead. This is what he's saying. This is how he starts out. And, and then we went to verse 2, and it talks about the life that we live of death. And he says this, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, or we walked the way that the world walks. We started living life the way that our culture lives life. If, if they thought it was okay, we were okay with it. If they said something was fine, we said, let's go for it. And a good example, if we just want to come back to children, is how many realize there was a season where culture started saying, do not spank your child. And boy, was that a mistake. That was a huge mistake. I, I, I tell you, and yet many believers bought into what? The course of this world. The, 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 instead of saying, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible talks a lot about parenting. We decided that we would start listening to the course of this world. And this way he's saying, you once walked according to the course of this world, according, and this is what crowns it really, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is ruling this world? Who's setting the pace for this world? The principalities and the powers of the air, Satan. So that's why you really cannot trust it. And that doesn't mean everything that the world says is to be discounted. Because God gave us human wisdom. But we often twist it to the way we want it to work. Or we'll look at a scenario and think, well, maybe that's not so good. It doesn't seem like the majority's going that way. Maybe we better go this way or that way. And so it's, it's, that's how we were. We walked with, and, and, and the Spirit now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. We were all like this. And uh, the, the Bible does talk about the counterfeit of Satan. And in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he talks about the world, 
the flesh and the devil. That's the course of this world. It's the way of this world. And then we, 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 we found ourselves all the way at the bottom. Remember I mentioned the thing, there's the, whenever they have these weight products and so forth, they have the before and after picture. You know, and, and, uh, and, and this is what we're seeing here. Paul has given us a clear, definite before to tell you that you are dead. And this will come into play a little bit later, so don't forget that. You're dead, but, in verse 4, it says, But God, and I love this verse, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. In other words, God has stopped the ball and said, Hey, I have changed things for you because of my mercy and my love for you. But God. Romans does that. In the book of Romans, when you read through the book of Romans, you, you find that the first three or four chapters, three chapters, talk all about how, how dead man really are. But then he gets to chapter 5 and verse 8, and he uses the same phrase, but God, who is rich in mercy, even while you were yet a sinner, sent his son to die for you. And it's repeated throughout Scripture 45 times you can find but God. And every time you'll begin to see, wow, there's a pattern here of the love of God that I didn't know was really that strong. But God, rich in mercy, he loves you. And mercy is really just simply uh, not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. So mercy is not getting what I deserve, and grace is getting <clears throat> what I don't deserve. God is an amazing God. Amen? So now we're going to go on and kick into verses 5 through 7 on your notes there. 5 through 7, and let me read it to us. Um, <clears throat> Even when we were dead in trespasses, <clears throat> in other words, God still loved you even when you were dead. He made us alive with Christ by, the great, by grace you have been saved and raised up together. I liked the mention of together today in communion. You're just absolutely right, you know. You were not born to be independent. You were actually born to be a part of a community of God on the earth. And, and it's important that we understand that because if we don't, then we'll just continue to run our saved life independently. And if we're doing that, then we're technically just doing our own thing. And, 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 and we might look and see some, some effectiveness here or there, but the reality is that we're saved together. It says, and you're even raised up together and made to sit together. If you look through uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, what you will find is the word together is used, I, I, I believe, five times in four verses. So together, together, together. And so it's important as you and I, as we look at the scriptures and we read it, that we pick up on these things and begin to say, wow, God, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to get me to to see here in these verses. I'm made to, uh, raised up together and, and, and I'm alive together. And, and, in, and, in, and, and it says, and I, I made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his king kindness toward us 
in Jesus Christ. So he made me, he made you to sit together in heavenly places. And this is, a, this is really a positional statement. In other words, positionally, you and I are already seated in heavenly places. This is what Paul's trying to communicate. He's trying to get your mind to receive the mind of Christ right now. He's trying to take you from natural thinking to spiritual thinking. And this is what he needs to do. He needs to get us to stop thinking so naturally, or another word in the, in the Bible would be carnally or worldly thinking, and start transferring to some spiritual thinking. If I don't, I'll never understand this. I'll always read it. It'll never quite make sense to me. I'll always be just a little bit confused. I'll always wonder what everybody else is so excited about. And I'm not quite getting it. I'm reading it, and it doesn't seem to jump alive. Well, let, let, let's allow the Lord to uh, let you see it from the heavenly perspective. This is what he's saying. I want you to know, positionally, you are already seated with Christ. Now, experientially, you and I are now to grow in that. But we can grow in that because we can see that. All of a sudden, I can see that. I can say, well, that's right. That's right. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 23, 7. It's not, on, it's not on the overhead here, but you all know it. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. What's he saying? Hey, I want you to realize I've already seated you in heavenly places. I've already overcome everything for you. I've already put my spirit in you, and as you understand that and as you receive that, then when you read this, all of a sudden it begins to make sense, and you're thinking, that's right. Because you know that if you're a born-again believer, if you, if you sin after you're born again, okay, you've already gone beyond what we defined sin as earlier, which means missing the mark, fall short of the glory. I receive Christ. Now I'm in this place. But now if I sin, something different should go on inside of me. In other words, it shouldn't just be no big deal. I have no idea. How many have sinned since they've been a Christian? I'm glad everybody raised their hand. We all have, the Bible says. But how many know that you don't get these, you know, these feel-good goosebumps after doing it? You really don't, do you? You end up, whether it's an attitude or, a, or an actual action or whatever it is, when you're done, you usually experience this, the, the verse that said that there's joy in sin, but just for a minute. And all of a sudden, you recognize it, and you realize that, hopefully. And you're able then to come back to God and experience that grace and mercy and come back into his arms and begin to grow in him and to begin to let those things t be taken care of. But see, the reason I sin is because I'm not seeing myself seated in heavenly places with my Father. I'm not seeing, as we talked about this morning, the completed work of the cross over my life. I've decided that, well, maybe it doesn't cover that, whether it's physically emotionally, spiritually. I've decided that that just doesn't apply to my situation. And I don't know about you, but you know, it's just so easy when things don't go the way you want them to go or aren't going like you think they should go for you to think that somehow your circumstance is different than everybody else's, and that's why. But that's just a lie from the pit. 
we all fell short to begin with, and we all received the same Christ afterwards <laughs> when we received him. And, 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 uh, and that same spirit raised us from the dead. And then Paul goes on now. He's, he's taking us to verses 8 to 10, and he's, and he's kind of summing up God's work of individual reconciliation here. And he says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a what? It's a gift of God. And, and if I could just really, you know, just take a pause here for just a second to say this. The same way that you got saved as a free gift, he forgives you the same way when you fail. And when you fall short, and when you cross the line, that same grace comes back to, to chase us down and to rescue us. And it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. But it was by grace. I was trying to think of how do we put that together? How do we understand this whole thing called salvation? Because really it's a miraculous work, isn't it? There's nothing that I could do to earn it. We're in agreement, right? We were dead. He says, that's what Paul says, you're dead. You can't do a thing to receive it. But somehow I have to respond to it. And I think that's what he's saying here. For by grace, through faith. When the Bible talks about faith, it often refers to seed faith. Seed, seed, seed. And the Bible also calls the word of God seed. Remember the one parable? It says the sower sowed the seed. And then later on he interprets it as being the word. Faith comes by hearing his word, but you're saved by grace and grace alone. Nothing that you could do. And somebody needs to hear this today, either for the salvation for the first time or maybe just a forgiveness issue or something, so that you can run back into the very presence of God. But when you think about this, um, this whole idea of the seed is the word and grace and how do I get saved and faith through grace. I want you to think, and this is kind of unfiltered for just a moment here, okay? I want you to think about birth and how it happens. There's a sperm, which is sperma in the Greek. This is where we get our English word sperm. And, and, and there's, there's an egg in, in the woman, right? And the two come together and somehow do what? Produce miraculously life. Now, you had something to do with that, okay? None of you had immaculate births. <laughs> but you see the miracle that took place there? This is what he's saying. When this seed finds its way to you, you receive it, and that life comes. And he transforms your life, and you're saved. I can remember when I got saved. I remember I couldn't do anything, but I was doing something. But I couldn't do anything, but I was still doing something. What did I have to do? I just had to receive what he was so freely giving to me. Right? And so this is what he's saying. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should Walk in them. Now, there's a, there's a mouthful right there. This is such a theological book, I don't even know how to start or stop here. 
Uh, so maybe we'll be on two for a while or something. I'm not sure. But I, I thought about that, and I thought, number, you know, just a, a lot of things. You know, obviously not of works. We're his workmanship, and it says we are created in Christ Jesus, right? Did you guys read that there? Can you pull that back up? We are created in Christ Jesus. It didn't say that you were recreated. He didn't say you were remodeled. He didn't say, I'm going to rebuild your old you. How many of us struggle trying to get our old us somehow to do better? Right? See, we've not seen this thing clearly. You're not trying to rebuild the old. That was dead anyway. When he brought life into you, he gave you brand new life in Christ. And he's working with that. You're over here working with this and not getting any results. And God's over here saying, no, look this way. Look this way. I've done a new work in you. You're a new creature in me. You're not an old house being remodeled. And, then when, when, and, and we've, I think we've all done, even from, I would just say, even a good heart, we've tried to do better in life. Isn't that right? I want to do better. I'm a Christian now. That's right. I know what I want to do. But I've failed so many times. And I failed over and over because I was going about it wrong. I'm trying to remodel the old Danny. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This is the new that I created in you. And see, when I begin to really believe that, as a man believes in his heart, as he sees in his heart, that's who he ends up being. And again, I know a lot of frustrated believers because they keep trying to rebuild the old that really isn't there once you receive the new. It says you're a new creature in Christ. And, uh, uh, and so... And you move on, we're his workmanship. That simply uh, means we're a beautiful poem of God. We're a beautiful work of art before God. He made you in a beautiful way. And we begin to see this and we begin to understand, what is Paul trying to say? What's he trying to help me to understand when I think about the, the idea of uh, just trying to uh, walk out the, the whole life of a grace-filled life, I thought of Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, and I think we, we have that one up there. Second Peter 3:18. If we could pull that up, I'd even be able to read it. Is it coming, Alex? Second Peter three eighteen. Okay, it's coming to a Bible near me. All right, listen to this. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. So when I think about grace, I think about this completed work that's so powerful, so awesome, something I couldn't have done anything about or uh, myself, but yet he's now challenging me to grow in that. What's he saying? He's saying, I need to grow in what he's already done for me, not what I need to try to do. I can't accomplish this thing. But what has he done for me, and how do I grow in this 
grace. Very, very, very important. And then we'll jump into verses 11 and 12 because I want to wrap up with something very important this morning that I think uh, will hopefully capture our heart and put a new perspective in us. Uh, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcised by what is called circumcision made by uh, made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of prom- covenant promise having no hope without God in the world so now he's coming back to them and he's saying again hey you you were completely not only dead in your sins, but you weren't even part of the commonwealth of Israel, the chosen initial people of God. You weren't even a part of that. And, and, and one of the reasons he's bringing this back to them is because the, the Jewish people at this point were trying to tell the Gentiles that were being saved. Gentiles in the scripture are just everybody that aren't of the original Abrahamic line. That's everybody else in the world. And what they were coming to the Gentiles and telling them, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the writs, you need to keep all, do all these stuff that we're telling you to do. And so he's bringing this back up to them because he wants them to get this because how many know that there were a lot of Jewish people fulfilling all of the circumcision and everything else, but they totally missed Christ. See, so he's addressing this very strongly, saying, don't fall toward this. And this is what he's going to say. And I, I want us to get this because, you know, there is an element where the Jewish uh, people and the Jewish nation have a unique national call by God. There's no doubt about that. You cannot miss that. But part of that call was not what we were to go back ourselves and step into. And I've seen just a lot of it where we almost begin to take some of those things that they do and try to do them ourselves, and somehow begin to try to find a fulfillment in them. Can you do uh, a a Seder and learn a lot? Absolutely. But please don't make that a part of your religion. Don't make that a part of your spiritual journey for the sake of, well, that's going to make me better if I do that. Because I'll just tell you right now, it won't. Can I learn? Can I grow? Absolutely. But the reality is, is that what God is wanting everybody to do, remember chapter 1, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, that was for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. That was for everybody. We, we really have to catch this. If you can catch this, then you can really appreciate the stuff they do have, but not do it wrongly. And really, this is what what Paul's really trying to address because, and you can go back and read Galatians, that was a whole issue too. They were trying to make the Gentiles do what the Jews do to be saved or to be a part of the in crowd. And they were still a little bit less. But look at this in verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by fulfilling all of the Jewish traditions. Not what he says at all, is it? No, you were brought near like everybody has to be brought near. Everybody has to be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's so, so important. It's so important. There's only one way. There's only one way. 
This is where we're living in a world right now, and this is why I think a year, maybe two ago, a year or two ago, I started emphasizing Jesus and not just God, because there's many gods out there, and there's many people out there that would tell you, Christians included, I've heard them myself, there's got to be more than one way to God. Can I just tell you quite frankly, there's not. Those are the words of Jesus himself, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, that's important. This is more important. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was very straightforward with it. They didn't like him because of it, but he was straightforward with them because this is a critical issue. Do I, don't, I don't want to deceive people into thinking, oh yeah, well, whoever you think is God, that's good. Because it really isn't, folks. And we've got to somehow, when people approach us with that, somehow we have to gently communicate that that's really not the Bible. It's not what Jesus taught. Let's not just go along with it. And again, I'm, I said gently, intentionally. It's not, let's not beat them up. I mean, they were probably taught that. But let's pull them in and let's say, hey, let's just do a Bible study about this. Let's just take a look and see if, how you're believing. You know, or if what you believe is wrong, would you want me to maybe say that to you? Or would you want me just to let you go off in your wrongness? There's just such good ways to approach these things. And I would never approach it by beating somebody up. Because I want to win them for Christ. So he tells them they're at the bottom. But now, in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood. There's only one way of salvation. And now he's going to put the crown on this thing for them. Will you listen to this here, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace. See, racism didn't start with black and white. Racism didn't start in our generation. Racism has been from throughout time. And this is what's happening here. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, who's he talking about here, Jew and Gentile, and he broke down this middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the fighting or the disagreement that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself, and here it is again, one new man from what? The two. So what has God always been after? He granted the, uh, Israel the, the, the privilege of having the covenant promises, but it was never for them to get prideful or boastful or to maybe think that they were better than anybody else. It was never for that purpose. That's the part of them blew it by thinking that. And we have to be careful ourselves today that we don't blow it by thinking that. But he made a new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile both of them to God in one body through the cross, thereby, therefore, thereby putting to death the enmity. Did you pull up the Colossians 3.11? I think we're familiar with this. Where there is neither Greek nor what? circumcised or uncircumcised 
barbarian or Scythians, slaves nor free, but what? But Christ is all and in all. Go to the next verse, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor what? There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in who? In Christ Jesus. So he's trying to communicate something here so that we can all get on the same page in the same place and also to realize that God's family is no longer a natural heritage, but it's a spiritual heritage. And I can only get into that family by Christ. Listen to a quote by Wood because I think this is good. It's not that Christ has brought one up to the level of the other. Okay, and that's what we think. Well, let's get up to this level. Here's the Jewish people. Let's get up to That's not what he did at all. To, so, but, so that, but he actually wanted to create and produce something greater than both of those. Verse 17 and 18. He came and he preached peace to you who were afar off, to those who were near. For, though, for through him we both have access by what? One spirit to who? To the Father. And again, I, I do believe there's nat- national promises for the Jewish people. I do believe that. But I'm not Jewish. And I'm not a second-class citizen. And I'm not below a Jew because I'm a Gentile if I'm in Christ. And this is what he's always wanted us to do. He's always wanted us to point it back to Christ. And then verses 19 and 22 are amazing, and I'll I'll wrap up with this this morning. It says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. He's talking to the uh, Gentiles here. This is a book to the Gentiles. But your fellow citizens... <laughs> with the saints and the members of what? The household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. A chief cornerstone is what they used whenever they built any building or edifice. They would also have this larger, huge, what they would call a cornerstone. This cornerstone was critical to the building of the rest of the house. If the cornerstone was slanted or crooked or off or weak, the whole house would be weak. This is what he's saying here. This is the picture he's trying to paint with us. And, and, and he says it's, it's being built together uh, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I thought about that because you know what's really interesting? Let me just throw this out. I know you don't want to hear too much stuff this morning. But I'm amazed that the Bible says that there's apostles, prophets, Paul will teach us this later, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, right? Which two does the body of Christ at large have the most problem with? The apostle and the prophet. Oh, preachers are okay, or fairly okay. Okay, evangelists are wonderful, teachers are great. But for some reason, even though these fivefold, what we call the fivefold ministry, apostle, uh, a prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, they're all in the same verse in, in chapter 4, verse 11 of Ephesians. But somehow we've kicked the two out. And for some reason, he's saying, hey, 
the, the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows. Is that together again? Joined together. And I, I just felt when I was preparing this to say this here. It's never good just to go to church. It's never good just to come to church. You got to be joined together. We all know that the Bible says that every joint supplies, right? Every joint supplies. And, and sometimes when, when I see loners like, you know, come in and they, they hang for a while, but then pretty soon they drift off because it kind of doesn't seem to, whatever the, whatever the reason, it doesn't seem to happen. It just seems like there's a drifting that keeps going on in their life. And God's saying, no, I, I, I want you to grow together because you're growing into what? The holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place. This is exciting. For a dwelling place of God's spirit. You're being built together to be a bigger dwelling place of his spirit. Don't miss out on that. Let's be together. That's why we started small groups and starting to pull some more together together. Because we recognize the value and importance of it because of what the scriptures say. And it's important, I think, for us to see this. Uh, it's just so easy to, to miss so much in this. Can you pull up the Isaiah 28 verses 16 and 16, I think it is? You have that one there, Alex. Listen to this. This is prophesied several hundred years before Christ. Listen to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. And usually when something says, thus says the Lord God, it means pay attention. Would you just pay attention? Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. So he's just reiterating what was said in the Old Testament. And it's just like, wow, is this important? Am I built on Christ and am I being built together? And I would probably just say this. As you reread through chapter 2 and glean some more, and I believe if you'll do that this week that God will speak to you more of what I'm saying, and, and you'll, you'll receive more than what I could even give you today, because the Holy Spirit's the teacher, and he wants to bring this home to you, and I believe if you would do that, it would happen. God's out to build his body. Uh, he gave his son, we did communion this morning, he gave his son so that he could build a body united together in him, so that we would become his dwelling place. Can it get any more important than that? It, it, it really can't. God, dwell on the earth like you want to. How are you going to do that? I'm going to be among. I'm going to fill the house of those that are dwelling together. That's why Corinthians talks so much about backbiting and gossip and all of that. Why? Because it creates disunity within a body. And so he says, no, don't do that because how good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity, harmony, in unity and harmony. And if you'll do that, God's going to command his blessing on that kind of a church, that kind of a house, that kind of a family. 
So I'd like you just to close your eyes for just a second, if you would. For those of you online also, just close your eyes for just a second. I really believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to communicate something through this book to us. And, and we, we've seen so many powerful things there that, that, make, uh, that would make a difference in our life. And now I just have to be able to receive them. I have to receive them. And I'm going to pray as Paul prayed twice in this uh, book alone. He stopped in the middle of the message and prayed. Lord, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. God, that's my prayer today for everybody in this room and everybody watching online. That, Lord, as a miraculous as it is, our eyes would all become open to understanding what your word is saying to us today, that we might walk today in total victory with you. That we might, Lord, become that mighty, mighty bride and army and, and all the things that you talk about in the book of Ephesians, the, the family of God, the body of Christ, Lord, that we might become all that you sent your son to the cross to die for so that we could have it. I thank you that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And today, God, we just receive your word and ask you to help us grow in the grace of it. Just put your hand, your own fingers on your forehead. Would you do that just for a second? This is, this is the battleground, you guys. This is the battleground. Just take a step of faith and put your hand up there. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that uh, there would be a release right now of things that block us from really understanding your word and understanding different things about the spiritual realm and that you would begin to marry us to the spiritual realm more than the natural realm than ever before because this is the day that it's needed. And I thank you for everyone watching, everyone here. Let your blessing be upon us in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen.